Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And hello out there to all you Brooklyn folk and beyond. This is Sam Maxwell, and you are here with the Bedford and Sullivan podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series research process. And uh, today we have uh, one of our our, uh, oldest friends, uh, the Brooklyn Borough historian Ron Schweiger, who should be calling in momentarily, and we're going to be going over the history of Prospect Park and the surrounding areas. Uh, but before we do, uh, have to acknowledge uh, the condolences towards the Hamill family for uh, who we lost today, uh, Mr. Pete Hamill, a titan in New York journalism, and uh, as well uh, a Brooklynite who who has has written so wonderfully and eloquently about the borough. I've once read his uh, drinking life. Uh, uh, it was a memoir of his time in Brooklyn, uh, of going to the uh, School of Visual Arts, and plenty of other uh, tidbits also of, of just in general of how he, he came to give up alcohol. Um, and I, he also had a book called Why Sinatra Matters, which was a, a, which was a, a biography as well uh, about Sinatra, but, you know, with, with uh, the Pete Hamill spin on it. And uh, he's written so many wonderful books. He wrote so many wonderful articles. Uh, it, it's, it's, really, it's really saddened me this morning to see that we lost uh, uh, the titan that he was. So um, I'm, you know, the condolences go out to the Hamill family who, uh, you know, I, I can relate to losing a father. So uh, the best to, to everybody out there. Uh, that is connected to Pete Hamill. And uh, without further ado, let's see who we have right here. I believe, uh, is this Mr. Ron Schweiger? Yes, Sam, I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you. How's the audio on my end? I was trying to get you on my cell phone, but I couldn't get through, so I'm on my house phone right now. Well, at least we have you for, for, one, uh, for, for one. And uh, I was just... You know, talking about Mr. Pete Hamill, if you want to yes. uh, continue it before we get into Prospect Park. Okay. Well, um, uh, Pete Hamill grew up in the uh, in Brooklyn, in, in Windsor Terrace, Park Slope area. And uh, speaking of Prospect Park, that was his backyard. That's uh, we hung out a lot. And, in fact, that's Brooklyn's backyard. And, of course, in a few minutes we'll get into Prospect Park and how it got started but Pete and his brothers all uh, grew up here in Brooklyn, like I said, in the Windsor Terrace area, uh, probably frequented Farrell's Bar uh, quite a bit. And uh, that's where uh, Mr. Hamill got his stories from Brooklyn. And he's really, like I was just saying that he's written so eloquently and wonderfully about the borough. It, it certainly is a loss, but uh, say la vie. 
as as the saying goes. Uh, unfortunately, this is this will be the end for all of us, and all you can do is soak up the time, soak up the sun whenever it appears, and, and uh, try to make the most of this life that we have. So, again, condolences go out to the Hamill family and anybody connected to Mr. Pete Hamill, uh, and of course to the entire uh, newspaper world of New York, who who is certainly mourning the loss today. And like you said, he grew up right. Right next to Prospect Park, uh, there, there's been plenty written that he, you know, he wrote about in terms of his Irish family around there. Uh, so let's let's uh, go knee deep into the history of Prospect Park, wherever you want to take it, Ron. Okay. Well, let's, uh, as I say, let's start at the beginning. Um, it was in the the middle 19th century, in the middle 1800s, where there was a. Um, uh, you might say uh, a spark to um, to get parks in the middle of cities, and um, one of the first ones was, um, believe it or not, in a cemetery in Boston, and uh, it was called Mount Auburn Cemetery uh, in Boston, and that was established in 1831. 1831, and seven years later. Right here in Brooklyn, uh, Greenwood Cemetery was established. And um, those of you who are listening who have not yet been to Greenwood Cemetery, um, well, if you were interred there, you wouldn't be listening right now. But um, (laughs) Greenwood Cemetery is gorgeous. It is marvelous. It is so popular that there are tours that take you through Greenwood Cemetery. Um, in fact, it's so popular, people are dying to get in there, uh, pun intended. And um, <laughs> how, long, how many times have you used that one over you the course of your life? <laughs> I've lost count, Sam. <laughs> but um, the famous and the infamous are buried here in Brooklyn in Greenwood Cemetery. It's many hundreds of acres of land uh, set aside, um, and it became a tourist spot in the 1800s where young men who were courting their young women would take their little horses and buggies right into the cemetery through the paths and would park, you know, and yeah, there were grave sites there, um, but it was gorgeous. And incidentally, Greenwood Cemetery, there's one spot that is topographically or geographically the highest point in Brooklyn. It's 216 feet high, and the second highest point is in Prospect Park, which is right next to Greenwood Cemetery, uh, very close to it. And in Prospect Park, it's called Lookout Hill, and that's 183 feet high. But Greenwood Cemetery became uh, a park, so to speak, not only just a a beautiful burial uh, site, and uh, – as early as the 1840s, 50s, and 60s into the 20th century, um, people would go in there and walk around or take the horse and wagon there to, to court their young ladies. And today, there are, I believe, five or six separate tours that will take you into various parts of, of the cemetery. Um, and you can just walk in. You can walk in, you can ask for a map at the gate. Uh, at Fifth Avenue and 25th Street, and uh, 
the map will show you the plots of some of the famous and infamous people buried there. And it's, it's stunning. It is a gorgeous place. And this became a central um, point in Brooklyn um, as a park. Now, this is 1830s, 1840s when it started in Greenwood Cemetery. But Prospect Park wasn't fully established until the 1870s. But that could, let's go back to, um, let's say, the 1850s. There was a contest in Manhattan. Now, incidentally, New York City and Brooklyn were separate cities. And the only thing separating them was the East River. The Brooklyn Bridge wasn't built yet until 1883. So in Manhattan, the city of New York, remember Brooklyn was separate, in New York City, there was a contest to come up with a design for a central park in the middle of Manhattan. And um, this contest had several entries, and one of the entries was, an, was anonymous, and uh, it was awarded first place. And that was in 18, April of 1858. And an architect, Frederick Law Olmsted, was designated as the chief architect, architect-in-chief. And um, Calvert Vox, a British architect, was designated as his consulting architect. So here we have Central Park being designed and set up by Calvert Vox and Frederick Law Olmsted. And as time went on, the city of Brooklyn wanted its own major park. So a commission was set up and to find park spaces throughout Kings County, throughout Brooklyn. And um, there were seven sites that were located. And the main site, the major site, was where, where is Prospect Park is now. That was the largest site that was selected. And I'm going to read a sentence here from the Prospect Park Handbook. And this was pu published in 1967. And it says that um, toward the middle of the 19th century, a new concept came into being with regard to what constituted a public park, park in America. All right? And uh, the first public park was Greenwood Cemetery in 1838, 1840. But they wanted to expand on that because, one, it was a cemetery. So Prospect Park became the main park of Brooklyn in the 1870s. But things started, you know, uh, design was created, uh, uh, workers were selected, and a lot of things had to take place. And there was one gentleman, Mr. Stranahan, who was very instrumental in raising funds for this park to be built and, and created. And uh, I'm, I'm looking in this handbook right now, and I designated certain pages, and here's one right here. Um, okay, in the late 1850s, as I mentioned, Manhattan was linked to Long Island only by ferries, and the independent city of Brooklyn had the third largest population in the United States. Okay, that was in, in the late 1850s. Um, so the legislature of the state of New York passed an act in April of 1859 
to authorize the selection and location of certain grounds for public parks and also for a parade ground for the city of Brooklyn. And as you know, adjacent to Prospect Park is the parade grounds. All right? Um, so um, the name Prospect Park came from um, a reservoir that, is, that was located where the main branch of the Brooklyn Public Library is now. And it was called Mount Prospect Park. And Mount Prospect Park was initially the first name of Prospect Park. And eventually they just dropped the word Mount and it became Prospect Park. Um, and the commissioners stressed that it was very important for the purity of the water in the reservoir to keep it as parkland all around the reservoir, all right, so not to contaminate the water. So that's one reason to create a park over there so the area will not be developed into housing or businesses or commercial establishments where that kind of building and construction could contaminate the water of the reservoir. So the land was expanded, which included what is now the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, which is across the street from Prospect Park. But originally, it was part of the plans of Prospect Park. Um, so, and by the way, if you notice, the land is a little bit higher over there. If people who are listening, if they, you know their history and your geography of Brooklyn, there is a high point along Eastern Parkway. Um, and it starts over in Bay Ridge. And there's the word ridge. And that ridge extends from Bay Ridge across into Greenwood Cemetery, into Prospect Park, and into the spine of Long Island. Now, scientifically, if we go back 70 to 100,000 years, that was the end of the last ice age. And the southern terminus of the glacier ended where Long Island is now. And if you know your geography, you know that Brooklyn and Queens um, are part of Long Island. And that's where the glacier ended. It stopped right there. And what happened was, as the ice began to melt, took a long time to melt all that ice, it began to drop all of the rocks, the boulders, the silt, the pebbles, as the ice receded and melted. And this became what's known as the terminal moraine, or the, the, the debris left behind by the melting ice. And this became the high point of the ridge of Bay Ridge, the highest point in Brooklyn in Greenwood Cemetery, uh, Lookout Hill in Prospect Park. But the good thing about Prospect Park, as opposed to Central Park, as the ice receded, a lot of the huge boulders were left behind in Manhattan. That's why parts of Manhattan in the park area are very rocky. Look at Fort Tryon Park in northern Manhattan. All those, there's big rocks sticking out the park. And if you look at those rocks very carefully in Fort Tryon Park, look at the scrapes and scratches on them. That wasn't done by graffiti. That was done by the rocks scratching across these big boulders as the ice was receding. So that's a little history. And, but where Brooklyn's Prospect Park is, a lot of the silt, not the big boulders, was dropped. Mm. And that's why you have a lot of open space, like the Long Meadow 
in Prospect Park mm -hmm. because very few of the huge boulders were left behind by the ice it, where Prospect Park is located. So that's a little history of the geography of the park. It's still so awesome in the original biblical sense of the word to think of, about how this piece of land that is the greatest that, that has now housed the greatest harbor in the world, you know, because I believe it is the geography, it is the actual physical landscape that has right. created this as, as being, you know, the, the, the densest population, uh, one of the densest populations in the world, uh, especially, of course, in America. Um, so we, if we're going to, you know, you mentioned uh, Frederick Law Olmsted and um, Calvert Uvo, if I got those names, the pronunciations correctly, they yeah. also helped design Manhattan Central Park, and I had always heard that they preferred their Prospect Park design to the Central Park one. And on top of uh, letting me know if that actually was the case uh, from whatever you've learned in your history, uh, Central Park obviously was put, uh, was con you know, configured in Manhattan for the city that they envisioned as opposed to what was already there. So if you were, if you were uh, at 110th Street when it first opened, it, it, you know, Manhattan was still very much country. The, the, the plots of land hadn't been laid down uh, right. the same way that we, we are used to it being now. Uh, tell us, if you could, how that compared and contrasted with when Prospect Park opened up in Brooklyn. Well, when Prospect Park opened, um, a um, parts of Park Slope, and there's the word park because the land slopes towards the park, all right? Um, the brownstones, many of the brownstones of Park Slope, which uh, many of that Park Slope area is all landmark now, uh, some of those brownstones do, ape, do date rather to um, the 1850s, 1860s, 1870s. So the area was starting to be built, okay? But the reason they wanted an extensive design of Prospect Park is to keep away um, next to the park um, development. Um, but by creating this park, they knew that Brooklyn was going to, by the way, the Brooklyn Bridge construction started in 1869-1870 when the design for the park was well underway. So they knew the designers and the Brooklyn politicians knew that when the Brooklyn Bridge was completed, it was going to open up the floodgates to allow the population to uh, increase dramatically in Brooklyn, in the Kings County. So they wanted to expand the park bigger than what the original plans were to keep away some of the development and keep this a big open space for the people to enjoy when the new developments are developed further at the ends of the park. And that's exactly what happened. Because um, just south of the park, you have Flatbush, the neighborhood of Flatbush. And although Flatbush was already established, it wasn't fully developed. It was a village, a town. In fact, there was a... a, a um, I don't know if the Botanic Garden still has it or not, because they did a major renovation in the Botanic Garden. And by the way, the Botanic Garden will be open to the public beginning this coming weekend. Uh, of course, you know, it's been closed since uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, started. 
but this coming weekend, um, it's going to be open to the public. Um, I'm not sure whether anyone can come or you have to reserve space. I'm not sure. Um, but for the rest of this week, it's open to members of the Botanic Garden who uh, uh, contact the garden on their website to arrange for a time to, to come in. Anyhow, um, um, there was on the western walking path of the Botanic Garden, um, a little bit north of Empire Boulevard, there was on this paved path a bronze or a brass strip across the path. And at the end of the strip, there was a boulder. And on that boulder was a plaque that stated, to the north of the plaque was the city of Brooklyn. To the, to the south of that strip was the village of Flatbush or the town of Flatbush. So this, this was before Flatbush was annexed into the city of Brooklyn, which occurred in 1894. All right? So there was a separation of the city of Brooklyn and the town of Flatbush. Okay, um, and um, th and by the way, in the park itself is where a part of the Battle of Brooklyn, or originally it was called the Battle of Long Island during the Revolutionary War. Now it's known as the Battle of Brooklyn. It took place in the park before it was the park, because remember the battle took place in August of 1776. It wasn't until 100 years later that the park was open. All right, but on the grounds of what was to become Prospect Park, some of the local colonists, um, headed by, um, I think it was Mayor Dungan, and there's a, a part of Staten Island known as Dungan Hills. Uh, Mayor Dungan, um, I believe, um, had the colonists chop down a giant white oak tree so that it would block the path to prevent the British from coming through. Now today, of course, in the park, you can just walk on many paths through the park. But remember, the park wasn't established yet. It was virgin forest land at the time. And so this path went through the, the area, and they cut down this giant oak, and there's a monument at that site in the park now um, saying that this is where the Dangan oak was felled. And if you go about 100 feet or uh, maybe about maybe about 30 yards beyond that on the eastern drive of of Prospect Park beyond that monument the Dongan Oak monument there are two boulders on either side of the of the uh, the roadway there and each of the boulders is explaining that this is where the, the bat, a part of the battle took place at that location and uh there are hiking trails through the park that you can go, and one of these trails takes you to these sites. So those of you who are interested in Brooklyn history, mm. the Revolutionary War, this is very visible and very easy to get to. And you gave um, one, uh, one of these tours, yeah. correct? I'm sorry? I, I said that uh, you give one of these tours, correct? Um, no, I don't do these tours. They're open to you, you. If you can get a map... A, a, um, well, you, you were uh, saying, you my wife and I belong to the Prospect Park Alliance, and when we joined, okay, right. they sent us, uh, you know, our membership cards and everything, and a complete map of the park, including all of the hiking trails. And during COVID-19, um, starting sometime in April, 
my wife and I and a friend of ours uh, on weekends that were pleasant weekends that weren't too cold in the spring and nice weather, no rain or anything. We would take this map, and every weekend that we went, uh, Saturday or Sunday, we took a different trail. One of the trails, or two of the trails, take you up to Lookout Hill, the highest point. Another trail takes you meandering through the park. And literally, Sam, you're in a forest during many of these trails. You're in the middle of Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. in the middle of a forest, many different birds to be sighted, chipmunks scattering around, running past us, right in front of us, squirrels, flowers blooming in the spring, um... I don't know how many flowers are there right now. It's been too hot recently to walk on these trails. But the park was relatively crowded with people and bicyclists. But on these hiking trails in the woods, in the forest, it wasn't that crowded at all. And I recommend people to do this to at this time. Wear your mask. Get out of the house. No, People are not going on vacation now. You can vacation right here in Brooklyn in Prospect Park. And each weekend, take a different trail. And each trail, it'll last two to three hours. If you want to spend longer, take the map and go on a longer walk. And it takes you all over the park, through the woods, over the hills, out in the open. It's absolutely gorgeous. And some of it is uh, a little strenuous if you're not used to hiking up steep parts. But a lot of it is pretty even and pretty uh, um, uh, straightforward. But there are certain trails that are a little strenuous than others. And I'm certainly so wondering so I, I was able to make it okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. And, you know, you're, you're doing great uh, at your age, of course. And um, I, I'm just reading, you know, of course, I have the Wikipedia page up for Prospect Park right now. And um, I, I'm reading it says James S.T. Stranahan, then president of the Brooklyn Board of Parks Commissioners, uh, park right. commissioners believed that a park in Brooklyn, quote, would become a favorite resort for all classes of our community, enabling thousands to enjoy pure air with healthful exercise at all seasons of the year. Uh, Stranahan, and, and here's the part that I'm curious what you know about this. Of course, it didn't go through as, as such, but Stranahan originally envisioned one large park extending eastward to Jamaica, Queens. However, the city's rapid development made this impossible, and today, the largest remnants of this proposed landscape are Prospect Park and the 538-acre Forest Park in Queens. It's interesting because, I mean, uh, you know, you go to Forest Park, and you can tell that it's one of the most untouched parks, uh, one of the most untouched parts of all of New York City. But can you imagine if if, uh, all we had now (laughs) was Prospect going all the way to Forest Park? I mean, like, like you can't envision the way the city developed, but that, that, that's quite the idea that they had. Well, let me tell you, um, if you, what two main roadways um, end at Prospect Park? One runs north well, got, of course, to the ocean. Eastern Parkway, of course. Eastern, Eastern Parkway, Parkway of course. which of course goes all the way east towards Queens. And Ocean Parkway goes all the way down to the ocean. Right. Okay? And these were created as focal points leading to Prospect Park by Grand Army Plaza. If, if, you, uh, if you get on the uh, Ocean Parkway, and uh, it ends at Church Avenue, and it becomes the Prospect mm-hmm. Expressway. When you exit, mm-hmm. the first exit 
on the Prospect Expressway after Church Avenue, it leaves you off right into Prospect Park. So these mm. two main roadways were part of the plans of Olmstead and Vaux, uh, taking you directly into Prospect Park from various parts of Brooklyn. Because they knew, and the, the politicians knew, with the opening of the Brooklyn Bridge, areas of undeveloped Kings County are going to start to be developed. Railroads right. are already established, and the, these privately run steam railroads started to expand further out into Kings County in all directions because of the increase in population and developers uh, buying up farmland and building new communities. And this was all in the plans with the park in the central part of Brooklyn and, and the Eastern Parkway and Ocean Parkway taking you directly to the park. It, it's it's just a remarkable the way the way the shape of Prospect Park it fits perfectly for Brooklyn, the way Central Park fits perfectly for Manhattan. Obviously, uh, it, it's a perfect rectangle, if you will, in terms yeah. of Central Park. Uh, that obviously played into the shape of Manhattan, uh, the, the the way it, it it presents itself. But um, it's it's just they. You know, I don't want to say everything's perfect, but it, it seems to everything with it, when it comes to Brooklyn, outside of them eventually losing their independence, everything right. seemed to fall into place until that very moment. You know, Sam, you mentioned something a little bit earlier that Olmstead uh, uh, um, and Vox, they improved on Central Park with Prospect Park. And right. believe it or not, it was the Civil War that caused them to do these improvements. The reason is, as I mentioned earlier, it was in 1858 when the first plans were first started to be drawn up to create the park, okay? Three years later, in 1861, the Civil War broke out, and that stopped all planning and all development of the proposed Prospect Park, or the Mount Prospect Park originally, all right? So during this time of the Civil War, um, Olmstead and Vox, they, they weren't able to do anything with the plans uh, with other people because of the Civil War. So they improved their visions for the park during those four or five years of the Civil War. And upon the war's completion, they were able to, together with other planners and other uh, designers and architects, to use these newer visions they had and new architectural designs for the arches in the park and the bridges in the park to come about. So the Civil War, as terrible as it was, was a blessing in the helping of the designing of Prospect Park. And there it is, the improvement over Central Park. Those of us in Brooklyn like to believe that. <laughs> <laughs> they, both, they both are certainly magnificent, for sure. Uh, but there is something so cute and quaint about Prospect Park in, in the way it complements Brooklyn. Um, let's, let's go deep into, you know, we were talking about Pete Hamill growing up in Windsor Terrace and Park Slope. So why don't we, and you, you mentioned Park Slope, but let's go around, uh, uh, let's go counterclockwise, why don't we, starting at Grand Army Plaza, and, yeah. and let's talk about all these neighborhoods. Let's start with Park Slope. Okay. Well, what do you want? well, Park Slope, 
Um, well, so hey, so, so you, you gave us a little bit. You gave us a little bit of the history of Park Slope for sure. But it, it, uh, let's go even deeper in terms of, of how it like once those 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 uh, brownstones were put in place. Once those those magnificent row houses were there. What, how does it start to develop, and, and how do people utilize the park in the development of it? Well, um, as I mentioned, that the Brooklyn Bridge uh, construction started in 1869-1870. It wasn't completed and opened until uh, May of 1883. But during those years, with the park already established in the 1870s, um, more and more wealthy people realizing that the Park Slope area is adjacent to, I mean, right next to this beautiful parkland. So a lot of wealthy people started to come into the area of Park Slope, and more builders started to build more of the brownstones, and the whole area started to become a very wealthy community. Um, And most of these homes are still standing today. I would say well over 90% of them are still there today. And um, and this was uh, an attraction. The park became an attraction for people to move to the communities adjacent to the park. And that was the same story with Windsor Terrace. Windsor Terrace was, was farmland. Um, and um, also, when the park started to get developed, that's when developers started to buy up the farmland adjacent to what was going to become Prospect Park. And today, Windsor Terrace is a, a beautiful, beautiful community as it was in its uh, infancy. And that's where uh, uh, Pete Hamill, his brother Dennis Hamill, I think there's a John Hamill, I believe. So uh, the Hamill brothers grew up right there. Um, and uh, that, that was their neighborhood. And the park was their backyard. Uh, now, I have my own backyard. I live in the Flatlands neighborhood of Brooklyn right now. I have a backyard, which needs a little repair now from yesterday's storm. Some of my tomato plants got knocked over. I got to straighten them up, but they look okay. (laughs) Um, But speaking of plants, now this is very interesting. During the years, uh, the early development of Prospect Park, um, um, Vox and Olmsted, they they maintained in the park a a nursery in the park with over 30,000 trees and 25,000 other plants that were kept on hand during the first two years of the building of Prospect Park. Over 70,000 trees and shrubs were set out in this stock in reserve for plantings during the development of Prospect Park. And they they had a nursery. So when needed, they were able to replace a tree or a plant. I don't know if this nursery exists anymore, uh, in the park, because I know during Hurricane Sandy, Prospect Park and Greenwood Cemetery lost altogether over 500 trees, either completely or damaged, and those that were damaged had to be taken down. Um, I'm not sure what yesterday's storm did in Prospect Park, but I know oh, here in my neighborhood there are streets yeah. blocked um, by trees and branches that mm-hmm. have fallen, so it, you know I'm sure the park has lost some some of it. Um, well, I, you know, I'm I'm way out in uh, uh, West Orange right now, so I'm way away from from Prospect Park. But you can right. certainly see that you know we're I'm right next to something called the South Mountain Reservation, I believe is what it's called, and, and 
you can only imagine the destruction. Because if you're looking at the storm, uh, the the path of the storm, the red and the yellow was mainly over New Jersey, and we had some some issues at certain points. But we, I would say, the city got lucky in many ways. Uh, yes, N- normally when there's a, a hurricane coming up the Atlantic coast. Now, keep in mind, I was a science teacher for 39 years, and in 2006, I went tornado chasing in the Great Plains. My wife sent me. Um, wow. I might laugh at that, but uh, it was a birthday present. I always wanted to do that. <laughs> and uh, I went with a professional tour, tour group, and it was, if you pardon the pun, that trip blew me away. <laughs> But uh, it was fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) I know my friends and family said if I had good insurance. But you do have, by the way, you do have to sign a release that you're aware of danger of injury or death. But uh, uh, it it was a great trip. And if you ever want anyone who's listening, uh, go online and type in storm chasing. And up will come the names of these storm-chasing organizations, professionals that take you in groups, in vans, just like you see on the Weather Channel. And uh, that's what I did for a week in 2006, in May, from late May into early June of 2006. And it was a fantastic experience. It truly was. Well, um, we're happy that we're happy that the, the – uh, um, it, 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 you know, nothing came of the release form, if you will. Um, but no, but I'll I mean, tell you something. <laughs> they they mm-hmm. don't guarantee you're going to see a tornado, but they mm. they take you to the places where they where severe storms are expected, because every morning after breakfast from a motel, uh, we meet in the parking lot or in the lobby of the motel, and they tell you they go on their computer and they get all the latest uh, information on their computer. Uh, from the Severe Storm Center in Norman, Oklahoma. And that mm-hmm. day, we drive to the locations, and sometimes we drove six, five, 600 miles a day to get to the locations where storms are expected. And uh, I'll tell you, in a week, in seven days, we did not see one tornado. But we saw the results of a severe hailstorm. We took pictures of a hailstorm in the distance, and it was awe-inspiring. We hit a, hmm. a, an electrical storm in S- South Dakota at night, and the lightning was unbelievable. Um, and um, it, it was an unbelievable experience. It truly was. Um, but getting back to Prospect Park, during the planning of the park, now listen, this is from the Prospect Park Handbook. The legislature of the state of New York passed an act on April 30th, 1866, sanctioning the change in land designation. But an interesting problem arose over something that was in, right in the middle of where Prospect Park was being developed. It was a cemetery. And it was the Quaker Cemetery in the middle of what was to become Prospect Park. So here was a problem. Um, so it says here, the matter was discussed at length and finally settled by the Friends. The Friends are known as the Quakers. And two-fifths of the lot of that portion of, of the cemetery, uh, let's see, 
gave direct passage to the cemetery for the members of the Quakers, okay? Today, the 10-acre cemetery is still being used for burials. Um, and let's see. And, the, and you know, none of the gravestones are uh, enormous. None of them are ostentatious, you know, like awe-inspiring, because the Quakers don't believe in that. You go to Greenwood Cemetery, you'll see unbelievable mausoleums and, 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 and uh, cemetery plots with uh, huge architectural designs and fences. Uh, it's, uh, it's worth the trip to take a tour in, in Greenwood, believe me. But there is one thing. There is a fence around the cemetery. Most people who walk in Prospect Park don't know it's there. Of course, it's part of in the middle of the forest, but it's there. And um, one of the trails Can that you tell me, we I took got, during I the, the map. Of, I, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I got yeah. the map yeah. up again. Could you tell me? Could you tell me once more where it is? Um, uh, let's see. I, I don't have the map in front of me. If I had it in front of me, I would tell you exactly where it is. Uh, but it's right off one of the roadways in the park. But you okay. wouldn't know it unless you look to the side, and there's a little bit of an opening leading to the main gate. And if you walk up to that main gate, there's a sign telling you it's the Quaker Cemetery. It is not open to the public. Maybe once a year or once every two years, they'll announce an what? opening. And there's a, a so website you might go to. And you know who's buried there? Mm-hmm. Um, an old-time actor, Montgomery Clift, is buried oh, in wow. the Quaker Cemetery. <laughs> but he was so, not so a Quaker. Just let everybody, so just to let everybody know, if you are uh, in Prospect Park on the Windsor Terrace side, you are taking a bicycle down West Drive, which is, yes, is the, drive, main, okay. uh, the main path. You're going to hit Center Drive, and I, I have it like I'm, I'm picturing it in my head since I've done the bike ride so many times. I know exactly where this is, and basically right where Prospect Park Southwest curves is Center Drive, and so that's that's where you go in. You meet West Drive, meet Center Drive, walk a little in inland into the park on Center Drive, you'll reach the Quaker Cemetery. Yes, but you got to look to the side in order to see it, because there are a lot of trees around it. And there's a gate there, and on the gate there's a sign telling you it's the Quaker Cemetery. And I think there's a website on the sign, if I'm not mistaken, and you can always contact that and find out if, when and if there's going to be a tour. Um, I've been in there twice already uh, over the many, many years. And as I mentioned, the uh, famous actor from the 1930s and 40s, I guess into the 50s, um, his, uh, his mm-hmm. name was Montgomery Clift. He was not a Quaker, but his mother was. And you know who ah. else is buried there? Members of the Mott family. Mott's apple juice, Mott's applesauce. Mm-hmm. They were Quakers. Mm-hmm. And they are, some of the members mm-hmm. are buried there as well. So, so the design of Project always kept... The cemetery, it's right in the middle of the park, surrounded by a fence, and you can look through the fence, you can look through it, it's not a fence that you can't see through, and you see some of the gravestones, it's a beautifully landscaped area, landscape because it's, it's virgin forest, you know, it's not taken care of, I don't think, by the, by the parks department, it's taken care of by, by the friends, the Quakers. Hmm. Well, you know, you learn something new every time you're on the, the show, man. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> um, so, 
we're, we're going counterclockwise, and I believe, you know, we've talked plenty about Flatbush on the show before. Uh, but in terms of, like, you, you, were, you were mentioning about the divide where it said this way to the city of Brooklyn, that way to the village of Flatbush. Right. You, you know, we, 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 of course, know, and we're, we're going to get up there into Crown Heights a little bit because that's, of course, where Ebbets Field was when it was uh, considered Pigtown. Um, right. Was Flatbush similar? Was was Flatbush similar at the time that the park opened up in terms of lack of development? Was it really just still a, a bunch of farms? Flatbush still had plenty of farms in the 1870s. Yes, but Flatbush Avenue itself was uh, like the center of the village of Flatbush was the intersection of Flatbush Avenue and Church Avenue, where the Flatbush Dutch Reformed Church is. All right, and incidentally, that is the oldest church in Brooklyn. The original church structure was built in 1654 by a direct order of Governor Peter Stuyvesant, the governor of New Amsterdam, 1654. And on the Flappish Avenue gate next to the church, above the gate, there's a sign that's engraved above the gate telling you that 1654. Um, the second, as the village grew, the church needed to be larger. So the second church built on that site was completed in 1699. And as the town and the village grew, a third church was needed. And that one was completed in 1796 on the same corner, on the southwest corner of Church and Flappish Avenues. So that 1796 church, that's the one that stands there today. And if you go into the, the churchyard, the graveyard behind the church, and the, the, usually the gate is open on Church Avenue. You can just walk into the graveyard. Look at the gravestones. Some of them are engraved in Dutch um, with the names of the families that lived in Flatbush, like um, Remsen, Bergen, Martens, Ditmus. These are all now street names in Flatbush. Okay? So yeah. um, it, it, it's, a his, it's a history lesson, just going into that graveyard. All right. Mm -hmm. um, and incidentally, the bell in the tower of the church was um, purchased by Judge John Vanderbilt, who is a he, he his um, relative Ger, uh, Gertrude Lefferts Vanderbilt, Lefferts Avenue in Flatbush. Okay, Prospect Lefferts Gardens, a community in Flatbush. Okay, Gertrude Lefferts Vanderbilt. Sam wrote a book in 1881 called The Social History of Flatbush. I have the book, but mine is a reprint from 1909. And in it, she gives the social history of Flatbush, which was reprinted from the 1842 book by Reverend Strong, one of the reverends of the church. Okay? So here it lies in the history of Flatbush, written by people who lived there in the 1800s and in, in, in the early to, to late 1800s. And I so have these books, it's, it's a remarkable history. But the bell in my, the tower was purchased sorry. by Judge John Vanderbilt. He sent one of his ships. He, was, uh, he earned his money by, uh, in the shipping business. He sent one of his ships to um, the Netherlands to purchase the bell. When the ship left the Netherlands and tried to sail back to New York in 1796, England and the Netherlands were at war. 
and this ship was taken over by an English ship, th- thinking it was a Dutch ship, but it turned out to be an American ship, because in 1796, we were already the United States, and the ship was taken to Halifax, Nova Scotia. Well, when word got back to Flatbush that this was happening, Judge Vanderbilt, who bought the bell, sent an emissary. Now, the emissary, I, I got two names in mind, either David or Matthew Clarkson. You know Clarkson Avenue in Flatbush? Okay? Mm-hmm. So there's another name. So it's either David or Matthew Clarkson was sent to Halifax, Nova Scotia, to plead that, hey, that ship belongs to an American citizen, it be- and the cargo belongs to an American citizen. The ship was released, came to New York, and the bell was put in the tower of the church. And the third time it was rung, Sam, was for the funeral of Judge John Vanderbilt, who bought the bell. Hmm. That's a little of local flappish lore right there. So you mentioned that Prospect Leopards Garden was a community in Flatbush. So, so is it technically not its own neighborhood, but part of the Flatbush area? It's, uh, being it's part of the Flatbush. Look, you've heard of Dittmus Park, right? Yes. Okay. Dittmus Park is in Flatbush. Prospect Park South is in Flatbush. Beverly Square West, Beverly Square East, um, Fisk Terrace, Midwood Park, South Midwood. These are Midwood communities within what we call Victorian Flatbush, okay? Mid, okay. When the Dutch first settled the area, they called it Midwout. And in Dutch, Midwout, M-I-D-W-O-U-T, means middle woods or middle of the woods. That's what the area was when the Dutch came here. It was the middle of a forest, middle of the woods. And they began to cut down the trees to build their homes and their businesses. And the main street known as the main road, became Flatbush Avenue eventually. But you go off the main road in the village of Flatbush, and that's where all the farms were located, both east and west of the main road. But once the Brooklyn Bridge opened in 1883, that opened the floodgates. And developers came in and started buying up the farmland. And by the Mm -hmm. late 1890s, that's when Victorian Flatbush started to become developed beginning in 1898, 1899. And that's how all these new communities all over Kings County started to get developed with the opening of the the Brooklyn Bridge in 1883, and then the Williamsburg Bridge in 1903, and eventually the Manhattan Bridge in 1909, all connecting Manhattan to Brooklyn. And there was the population explosion in Brooklyn from those three bridges right there. And the end of farming. We actually have on the line a man about town in the Brooklyn trolley blogger, Mike LeColant. I'm not sure if you guys have ever talked, uh, but, I but think so. uh, Mike's, Mike, uh, go ahead, Mike, introduce yourself. Hello, good afternoon, gentlemen. Uh, Mr. Hi, Mike. Uh, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you, and thank you for the education. It's been oh, my pleasure. <laughs> oh, it's been a pleasure to, uh, it's been a great listen. Well, I'm glad that. Now you're 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 a trolley maven. Uh, no, you know uh, my uh, my blog site. That's just a, a cute little spin on the Brooklyn trolley Dodgers. Okay. Dodger. All right. Uh, well, the Flatbush in- Avenue trolley was first established in 1858. Okay, mm-hmm. and as the it was pulled by horses, and eventually by the by the late 1890s it became electric. But the pastor of the Flappish Dutch Reformed Church 
complained to the owners of the company that ran the trolleys that on Sundays during services, don't clang the trolley bell as it passes the church on, on, by Church Avenue, Flappish Avenue. And that's, that's I, a true story. <laughs> I received an email once uh, several years ago. Uh, I forgot where she was from. I believe she might have been from California. She emailed me looking for help locating one of her ancestors, uh, whom she was uh, very certain was buried at the Church Avenue Cemetery. Uh, I, on that point, I just wanted to say I inspected each and every one of those headstones. And as you say, some are written in Dutch, some in English, and the dates on them. And just walking about such a grand history of Brooklyn. You know, Absolutely. Crazy. And by the way, and, uh, if you go further south Flappish Avenue to the neighborhood I'm living in now in Flatlands, the Flatlands Dutch Reformed Church was completed um, in 1662. That was uh, eight years after the Flappish Dutch Reformed Church. The current church in Flatlands uh, was finished in 1848. Or 1828, I'm sorry, 1828. And um, if you go into that cemetery, and that's about four blocks from my house here in Flatlands, um, you will see some of the names of the people that lived in this area. Uh, there was the Bergen family, the Overbau family, and there's a street adjacent to the church called Overbau Place, named after the family that lived there. Yeah. Um, um, and what's the other one? There's... Um, there's another street next to the church. I forgot the name of it. Uh, if I think of it at 3 in the morning, I'll give you a call. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I mean, it's also interesting in this grand conversation that it also uh, abuts King's Highway. And if we're talking Revolutionary War, didn't the, the street itself derive its name because that was the main supply route of the British troops? So they That is right. It was um, King's Highway what's now King's Highway and Flatbush Avenue, those two main streets today were the two main Indian trails for the Canarsie Indians. And they intersected where today Flatbush and King's Highway cross. I live about four or five blocks from that intersection. Um, those were the Indian trails. And that intersection became the center of the Dutch village of New Amersfoort, which today it's Flatlands. The, the English, when the English took over in 1664, they changed New Amersfoort, which was Dutch, to Flatlands. Because the land, and I can attest to that because I live here, is very flat. <laughs> just, just so you know, we were one-time neighbors. Uh, when I uh, came out of the Army, that's when I moved to Bensonhurst. But before that, I used to live in the 50s over on Avenue L, just so you know. 50s and Avenue L, okay. I'm on uh, Troy uh, Avenue. Between Flatlands and M. Uh-huh. How was that? That's not too far and, away. And I know I'm getting a little bit away from Brooklyn real quick, but it's interesting you guys talking about King's Highway because, and you just mentioned Troy Avenue. Um, I've been doing the Tri-Cities of the Capital Region, and right. uh, I forget what the main the strip that I'm talking about, but, like, there's all these placards uh, constantly throughout up, up, uh, upstate that say the King's Highway. And and I'm, I'm guessing I'm not sure whether it connected directly from Brooklyn all the way upstate. Uh, do you know whether that it has any connections, or is it it's it's it does all go back to the British, of course. It goes back to the British, and as you say, when the when the uh, English troops when their ships uh, landed in Gravesend Bay, 
they came on land and through the forest, and they had to widen the Indian trail through the woods so that their horses and their cannons and everything could get through. And they widened this, and it, it got to be known as the King's Highway, meaning the King of England. All right? That was his troops that were coming in during the Revolutionary War. Sam, if you'll allow me yeah. to bring this back to Greenwood Please. and, and Prospect Park. Uh, yes. Ryan, you mentioned a couple of names, uh, Bergens being amongst them. I'll even throw out Van Nostrand. And the significance yes, of these Van Nostrand was Dutch. Um, they were slave owners, as were many of the Dutch and the English. They were slave owners. And the Van Nostrand family, and of course Nostrand Avenue. And what about Gerritsen Avenue, Gerritsen yes. Beach, Wolfert now, now here's, here's interesting. Um, the center of the town of Flatlands, Kings Highway and Flappish Avenue, the center right there, that area was purchased by Wilfred Gerritsen van Kohenhoven and Andres Huddy on June 16, 1636, from the Canarsie Indians. When I say purchased, I put quotation marks around that because the Indians did not know what land-owning meant. To them, bargaining and trading goods was allowing the Dutch to use the land. But the Dutch knew what land ownership was, because remember, they came from the Netherlands where you can own property. So they started to cut down trees and, and build their homes, and eventually they started to build fences, and a lot of these fences... Um, kept a lot of the Indians from getting to their hunting grounds. And this led to a lot of problems, especially with one of the, um, the Dutch governors of New Amsterdam, Willem Kieft, and he was notorious for starting problems and wars with the Indians. Um, but this was a big, big problem, because the Indians eventually, were, eventually unfortunately, were driven out, and, uh, and many succumbed to some of the diseases brought over from Europe that they never were exposed to before. So that was the problem, uh, you know, with the, with the settlers and the Indians. But uh, again, if you want a history lesson, go into the graveyard of the cemeteries and, uh, and then look at a, a street map of, of, of the area and look at the names, and you'll see a lot of the old Dutch names now have street names after them. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of those names, Sam, on a baseball point, going back to those mm -hmm. mid-1800s, a lot of these names, the Bergens, the Van Nostrands, and a bunch of others, these were the gentlemen who who funded many of the social clubs that played baseball to work. Uh, mm -hmm. amateur and purely recreational. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's where my uh, just... Uh, voracious appetite for you know the history and Greenwood Cemetery itself comes in. That place, as you say, Ron, uh, is just a wonderful place. And what, oh, it is, yes. Opened up in 1836 or 38, one of those two. Uh, it's on the National Register of, of uh, Historic Sites, and you know before back then there was no such thing as. Uh, museums and art galleries or even, you know, that open recreational space. When Greenwood opened, that was it. You want to see art and things of that nature, you went to the cemetery. That's right. That's right. And of course, and of course, right next to Prospect Park, you have a lot of the institutions for the people. 
the um, the the Brooklyn Museum, the the main branch of the Brooklyn Public Library, the Botanic Garden, Prospect Park, all right in the center of Brooklyn, where Ocean Parkway and Eastern Parkway lead right to these these uh, educational institutions and parks. You stole, the words, you stole the words right out of my mouth because, as you say, if you start with the museum, the library, Prospect Park, and Greenwood. I have to put that amongst the top cultural centers in all this country. I really would. And that's not it's, it's, very, it's very likely, yeah, for, for, uh, for a major city. And, of course, sure. we were a city at one time, and if we were a city today separate, we would be probably the third or fourth largest population-wise. In fact, there's, yeah, there's yeah, a, a fellow named that, um, that when, Bud Livingston, a Brooklyn College graduate. Uh, he wrote a book called... President Lincoln's third largest city, and the book is all about the Civil War in Brooklyn, how each ethnic group in Brooklyn fared during the Civil War. It's called President Lincoln's hmm. Third Largest City by Bud Livingston. Oh, wow. Got to take a look at that one. And I was going to say that um, I was reading about Prospect Park. They said that the top three biggest cities at the time uh, you know, basically before uh, Brooklyn went at, it became part of the, the uh, city, part of, part of New York City, it was uh, Philadelphia, New York, and rounding it out was Brooklyn. That's and then right. all of a sudden, as, as, Brooklyn is building, as, Brooklyn, as Brooklyn is building this major uh, uh, position in this country, it just gets its independence ripped from it. And, and of course, they voted it through. But I always like to say it was such a slim margin that there must have been corruption involved. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. And by the way, Bedford and Sullivan, Sam, there's a gentleman named Sullivan, and I saw it somewhere in this Prospect Park guidebook. Sullivan had something to do with the development of Prospect Park. And I, I, I'm thumbing through it. I can't huh. seem to find his name right now. But uh, I'll, I'll contact you when I find it. Much appreciated, and I think that's a great place to, to take it into our last word, to our final word, uh, with, with the title of our show, with the title of the podcast, as well that, as the developmenting, right. the, the developmenting series. So, um, Ron, and uh, I want everybody to, to know where they can find you for these history lessons. We like to call this your shameless plug. Well, what I'll do is I don't have a website but I'll do I, what I can do is I can give you my email address, um, and anyone you know if you need any information about Brooklyn, its history. Now I know a lot, but I don't know everything. But I do know a lot. Uh, my web, my email. I'm going to say it. If you have a pen and pencil, don't write it until I spell it, because people start writing it and then they have to cross <laughs> it off. It's Brooklyn Remembered at AOL.com, but Brooklyn is abbreviated. It's B-K-L-Y-N Remembered at AOL.com. Brooklyn Remembered at AOL.com. Now, before we go to you for our last Prospect Park word, Ron, I want to go to Mike for anything he would like to finish with. No, I have nothing to add other than thank you. I think this city does a rotten job of uh, preserving and promoting its history, whether it be in Manhattan or Brooklyn or the other three boroughs, and, you know, uh, Ron, your work uh, is invaluable to the borough of Brooklyn. I just want to end Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, uh, I well, said, my I last word. Go ahead, Ron. Okay. Um, 
Paris has the Arc de Triomphe and the Eiffel Tower. Brooklyn has the Parachute Jump and the Grand Army Plaza Arch. And the Grand Army Plaza Arch is the entrance leading into Prospect Park. And it was erected in 1892. For those of you who pass it all the time, 1892 it was built as a monument to the Union soldiers that fought and died during the Civil War. And if you, next time you pass it, look up at the top of the arch, the part of the arch facing the park, and engraved at the top, it says very clearly, to the defenders of the Union, 1861 to 1865. And the beautiful statues at the top were created by the um, architect, um, um, I forgot his first name, his last name was McMoney's. And those statues and of the horses on top and everything, the chariot, those were added a couple of years after the arch was completed in 1892. So now you know the entrance into the park right there. Beautiful. And it's one of the best arcs in the world. Everybody needs to – I always tell a lot of people who come through New York City, they ask me, what is something under the radar that not enough tourists go to see? And I always tell them to take the two – all the way out to Grand Army Plaza. It's only a half hour from Times Square. And I right. urge anybody who doesn't go into Brooklyn enough to go to Grand Army Plaza and take a look at one of the most beautiful sites you, you will ever see. Uh, thank you. Thank you both for being on the Bedford and Sullivan podcast today. Uh, and, can, of course, uh, stay safe and healthy. Uh, and to each and every one of you listening out there, we greatly appreciate it, and we uh, and again, condolences to uh, all of the, the New York journalists, uh, journalism world, as well as the Hamill family. Uh, it, it's right, it's exactly. a bad thing to wake up to, but say la vie. Uh, catch us next time, everybody. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Ron. Thanks, Mike. Bye. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.